All right, we started the book of Jonah last week. Started this book here. Tell me what you remember about Jonah so far. I mean, we blazed through it and got the first five verses done. So tell me what you remember. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. Yeah, <laughs> he did not want to go to Nineveh. He made that very plain, didn't he? What else do you remember? His name means dove or peace, which is interesting. It's kind of a, there's a lot of irony in the book of Jonah. More than you think, uh, when you stop and look at it, there's a lot of things that are very ironic. And the fact that the prophet whose name meant dove or peace really wanted to see the Ninevites burn, it's a little ironic. Someone else, what do you, what do you remember? Yeah, he not only ran from God, he did like the 180-degree run from God. Um, and, and not only ran from him, but tried to hide from him, too. Anything else? Let's do a little recap. This book is a little difficult. The book of Jonah is actually a book of prophecy, and, and it doesn't seem like that, but it is. And, and it's a difficult book. Not only because it's, it's different from all the other prophetic books, but you don't know how to take this book. Uh, here's how we've been working through the book. We've been, I've been giving you a fictitious journal entry. We're taking the book of Jonah as if Jonah was writing a journal about this whole experience. And so I give you a fictitious journal entry, then we look at a piece of text, and then we'll tear that part, text apart and dig into it, and then I'll give you some takeaways. But before we did that, we had to talk about the book of Jonah. Is it historical? You know, and, and if some people say, well, it can't be historical because no fish swallows a man and, and no man lives to tell about it in the belly of a fish and, and no plant grows up overnight. And, and so people, if you have trouble with miracles, you're going to have trouble with this book being historical. And yet Jesus talked about Jonah as if he was a historical figure. Some people will say, well, this is allegorical, but in an allegory, every part has to fit in an allegory. Some people say, well, this is an allegory of the, the nation of Israel, but not every part of the allegory fits, so that's problematic. And some people will say it's a parable, but again, Jesus treated it as if it was historical. So, so I'm just taking the stance, and you can take whatever stance you want, but the stance I'm taking is that we're just going to take it at face value. We're going to go and read through Jonah at face value and take it as it is. Some of the things we learned about Jonah, you brought it up, his name means dove. Jonah's the only prophet that ran from God. You don't see that in other, any of the other prophets. They didn't run from God. Uh, Jonah is one of four prophets mentioned in the New Testament by Jesus. Uh, Jonah is a book where it's more about the prophet than the prophecy. You know, it's really more about the man than what the man had to say. Uh, it's really interesting in that way. Uh, Jonah is, is interesting also in that all the other prophets went to a place to prophesy. Jonah ran away from the place. And, all, and we'll see this later in the study. All the other prophets went and and preached to the people and told them to do what was right. And this is a case where the pagans preached to him and told him to what to do what was right. 
Uh, it's just a really, really fascinating book. It's so much more than just a fish story. It really is not, I, I told you last week, it's not about the fish story, it's about the fish bait, Jonah. This is what Jonah is all about. Jonah was told to go to this great city of Nineveh. Remember I told you, Nineveh was the second biggest city in, in Syria next to Babylon. So in comparison, it's like Atlanta is the biggest city in Georgia, and we're the second biggest city. That's kind of how you would compare those two. And that's where Jonah was told to go. It was built by Nimrod. You can see that way back in the book of Genesis. The city is described as great. Now there's some, there's some controversy as to whether it was as large as the book of Jonah says. Archaeology says, no, it wasn't that big. But it was great in the sense that Again, it was the second biggest city in Assyria. Uh, it was great in its population. It was great in its trade. It was great in its sin. I mean, it was just an over-the-top kind of city. Matter of fact, Scripture describes it as being a wicked place. And the word it uses for wicked means filled up to the brim. I mean, it's just like at the top of wickedness. And, uh, and, and before Jonah, this is interesting, you know, because some people say, well, you know, eventually, I'll, uh, spoiler alert, Jonah goes to Nineveh and preaches and they all repent. And some people say, well, that's just crazy. How would a whole city repent? But here's the, the history behind it. Before Jonah got to, to Nineveh, several things were happening. They were in this inner turmoil. Matter of fact, they were collapsing. They were no longer expanding. They were collapsing because they couldn't maintain themselves. There was this strife and struggle internally. There had been two plagues that ripped through the city of Nineveh, and there had been a solar eclipse. Now, for a very superstitious people, all of those things add up to something bad's going to happen. So they were ripe for Jonah to come and preach to them about turn or burn, basically. And so they were set up for it. Jonah didn't get that. But when he went there, they were already primed. That prompt had been primed, which is interesting. A lot of times when God wants us to go to someone and talk to someone, we're scared to death to do it, and we forget the pump has already been primed. God's already been working in their life. He's already kind of gotten them set up and ready for us, and that's, what was, that's the way it was with Nineveh. Okay, we ran through some takeaways last week. I'll run through these really quickly and, and you can find them online, so don't worry about having to scribble them down or something. But uh, I just want to catch you up. These are the takeaways we talked about last week. God longs to reach everyone even when we don't. Even when we don't, God longs to reach everyone. When God calls, it is a command, not a consideration. Uh, some of you may have seen the video I posted on Facebook, but there's this great line in the Big Bang Theory. There's an episode in the Big Bang Theory where Sheldon's mom is trying to get Sheldon to do something, and Sheldon is refusing. And his mom says, I'm sorry, did I start that sentence with, if it please your highness? I love that line. That's a great line. Um, and basically his mom was saying, hey, this is not a consideration, this is a command. And so when God calls, it's a command, not a consideration. God will disturb us in order to disperse us. God will disturb us in order to disperse us. Lots of places, both in Old and New Testament, where you see God just shaking things up in order to scatter people out. Really practical example of that is the Tower of Babel. Another example of that is all the persecution that happened to the church in Jerusalem so that they would scatter outside of Jerusalem. So that's a, that's a legitimate takeaway. Another one. There are many ways to run from God's presence, but none of them work. 
None of them work. We are like the little children that when we cover our face, they say, you can't see me. You know, it's like I'm hidden. We act like God can't see us. Jonah did the same thing. Jonah runs and hides in the bottom of the ship to run from the presence of God. You can, you can find all kinds. You can get involved in your work. You can, get, you can even get involved in Bible study to try to run from God, believe it or not. But no matter how you try, it just doesn't work. When you ignore God, you will end up going down. Jonah is a very dramatic book. If you read Jonah, it's, it's, it's not poetic, but it's, it's narrative, but it's almost like poetry. When Jonah decides he's going to run from God, you hear this. He starts here, and he goes down to Joppa. And then he goes down to a ship, down to the port. And when he gets on board ship, he goes down into the bottom of the ship. You see the trajectory of Jonah is just like this. And so when you ignore what Scripture is trying to teach us is when you ignore God, you just keep going down. Okay, another takeaway we hit last week. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it isn't God's will. And just because it's easy doesn't mean it is God's will. God called Jonah to do something really hard, but that didn't mean it wasn't his will. It was really easy to run away from God. That doesn't mean it was his will. You can't make that kind of judgment. God will do whatever he has to to get our attention. Some people listen and, and learn really early. Some people have to smack into the wall before they learn. God will do whatever. He will set up whatever he has to set up, not to make us crash and burn, but to get our attention. So the quicker we pay attention, the better it is for us. God deliberately pursues us, even when we move away. You know, it's not like God pursues us, we decide, hey, I don't want anything to do with you, I'm going to run away, and God says, okay, if that's the way you want it. He doesn't do that. He continues to pursue us. That's the story in the New Testament about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep, and one of them runs off, and so the shepherd goes after him. Shepherd doesn't say, you know what, don't need that sheep anyway. The sheep is nothing but problem. Don't need him. He runs after the sheep. Another takeaway, our sin and rebellion affects others. Everything we do affects somebody else. None of us is an island. We'd like to think we were. I've told you this before. One of the stupidest things I ever said to my father as a kid is, hey, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, I can do what I want to. <laughs> So stupid. I still hear those words and cringe every time I hear those words because everything we do affects somebody else. There's no way around it. Everything you do will affect somebody else. And so our sin and our rebellion will not just affect us. It will affect somebody else also. Last takeaway we hit last week is when your heart is hard, you can tune almost everything out. Almost anything you can tune out if your heart is hard enough. And our hearts can get that hard. And Jonah's heart got that hard. And we'll talk some more about that. Okay, so that catches us up. Let's look at a journal entry. Here's another fictitious journal entry that Jonah might have written. It's been several days since my last entry. To be honest, I didn't know if I would ever make an entry again. I'm currently on a beach trying to stay warm, wrapped my head and wrap my head around everything that's happened. In my last entry, I was trying to sleep through the storm. Well, that didn't work. He goes on to write, The captain woke me up 
angry and hysterical. He told me to get up and make peace with my God because it looked like we were going down. I had told him that I was running from him. I hadn't told him that I was running from him, but they somehow, these superstitious pagans, excuse me, seemed to know and started pressing me with questions. And so I told them the whole story. That's what the journal entry might have looked like. Let's look at the text. Chapter 1, let's start in verse 6. Chapter 1 of Jonah, verse 6. So, the captain came and said, and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the, your, the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, here's what's happened up to this, prior to this verse. Jonah has run to Joppa. He's gone down to the harbor. He's gone down in the ship. He paid money to run away from God, and the ship is heading off for Tarshish. And there's a storm, and Scripture's really specific. God sent this storm. This is God's doing. This is not just happenstance. God is crafting this storm. And these sailors who have made this trip hundreds of times are scared to death. Now, they've seen storms right and left, but this one is scaring them to death. They're throwing cargo overboard and everything else, and they go down into the hull of the ship, and they find Jonah asleep. I mean, your heart's really hard when you can sleep through a storm like that. They're all scared of losing their life. Jonah's sleeping. So the captain goes down here in verse 6 and finds him and tells him to get up and start praying to his God, and that perhaps his God will give a thought and not have them perish. Look at verse 7. And they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know whose count this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Goes on to say, verse 8, Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? I mean, they're just frantic now. And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of God because he had told them. All right, let's stop right there. Let's camp out here, and let's take this passage apart a little bit. Listen to the irony of this. Jonah is the man of God. Jonah is the prophet. Jonah is the one supposed to be going to the pagans, but the pagans are coming to him. All right? Jonah is supposed to be calling to people to tell them to wake up. But the pagans are having to tell Jonah to wake up. And Jonah is supposed to be calling pagans to pray to God to be saved. And the pagans are having to tell Jonah to pray to God to be saved. What Scripture's doing is showing you just how off track Jonah is. Just how far away Jonah is. Just how, how far gone Jonah is. It's painting all of this irony. And so then it goes on in verse 7 to say they cast lots to figure out who's to blame, basically. They cast lots to find out who's to blame. And, and casting lots are, are these objects of different shapes. We don't even know what they were. They could have been different. Uh, there may not have been a set type, but they were these objects and they would roll them, kind of like shooting dice, and to figure out who's to blame. And, and it was used a lot of times to determine God's will. 
Can you think of places in Scripture where that was so? Choosing Matthias, you know, to replace Judas of Iscariot, who was the betrayer of Jesus. So when it came time to choose his replacement, they rolled the dice, so to speak. Think of somebody else or somewhere else that that happened. The Battle of Ai. I forgot that one. Battle of Ai. To see who was responsible for the defeat. Yes. Yep, the Roman guards, the pagans, cast lots to see who got Jesus' cloak, his garment. They cast lots to see how the promised land would be divided up. Israel's first king was discovered by casting lots. Now, it sounds kind of weird to us, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds strange that, that you would cast lots. That, that sounds like more like gambling or fortune-telling, doesn't it? And, 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 it, and it is a difficult thing to kind of think out. But even in Leviticus, remember the scapegoat, the story of the scapegoat? Where once a year, uh, Israel would take two goats. One of them would be sacrificed for the sins of Israel. The other one would be sent off into the wilderness. And the way they chose which was which by, was by casting lots. So, so this is what the pagan soldiers or sailors are doing is they're casting lots. Now, I want you to keep your finger in Jonah. Go to Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, because this kind of helps you see the balance to this. Because, guys, if your wife says, I need you to take out the trash, and you start rolling dice to see whether you're going to do it or not, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Okay, Proverbs 16, and I want you to look at, well, I don't want you to look at it yet because I'm not even there. Proverbs 16, go to verse 33. Here's the balance in all of this. Proverbs 16.33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. What does that say to you? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't sound like we have much choice, does it? <laughs> So God, so you can cast lots if you want to, but the outcome is still going to be up to God. Yeah. One of the things that never ceases to, I want to say amaze me, but that sounds too light. I'm always blown away by the fact that because God is sovereign, even when we go against his plan, it will still work for his plan. Let that blow your head for a minute. I mean, think about it. God is so sovereign that he can even make stuff that he doesn't want to happen work out the way he wants it to work out. Yes? It was a mechanism to get him to take action. Yeah, now the, the pagans often thought that, that God was speaking through the, through the dice. And, and evidently the Christians did too. But... Uh, it's kind of a way to take the responsibility off of you for choosing, actually, if you want to know the truth. 
You know, it's kind of the eeny, meeny, miny, mo, you know. Uh, so this is what happens. The sailors cast lots for Jonah uh, to find out who's, who's caused this, and it winds up on Jonah. And so they zero in on Jonah. And listen to Jonah's response. Uh, because they gang up on him and pile all these questions on him. And here's what he says in verse 9. I, first of all, he says, I am a Hebrew. Okay? The first time you see that word Hebrew is in Genesis chapter 14, verse 13. And that's the story of when Abraham's nephew Lot was taken captive. And they had to go rescue Lot. And that's the first time you hear Abraham and his people described as, as Hebrews. And usually when the word Hebrew was used, it, it had this kind of uh, foreigner, you know, immigrant, not from here kind of connotation. It, it, it kind of had this, it point, painted them as foreigners. So they were called Hebrews because they were the foreigners that moved in and they were camping out in the land. And that's the first time you see that. And so first off, he says, I'm a Hebrew, which designates who he is. And then he says this. He says, and I fear the Lord. Does that sound problematic to you? I mean, hmm? Yeah. What do you do with a guy that says, I fear the Lord, but I'm not listening to him and I'm running away from him? You know? But that's how he describes himself. I'm a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. But it distinguishes him. And then he doesn't just say, I fear the Lord. He says, I fear the Lord. And then he goes on to say, the God of heaven. He doesn't just stop there. He says, who made the sea and the dry land. Why would he, why would he say it that way? Any ideas? Some of you are saying, you're asking way too many questions. Why would he say it that way? Remember these pagans worshipped gods. They had a god of the sea, god of the hills, god over the, the, the sheep. God. They had all of these variety of gods, and they were always localized to something or somewhere. And basically what Jonah is saying, okay, my god over all of it. Sea, land, heaven, he's over all of it. Which... It makes it even more problematic that he's running from him, right? But that's how he, he designates himself. I'm the, my God is the God of heaven. He's over the sea, the creator of the dry land. Uh, he made it all, head to toe. It's kind of a literary device the writer uses. You know, that term, it's from head to toe. That means the whole thing. Earth and sea, the whole thing. So, so Jonah comes clean. This is it. This is who I am. And, uh, and then he says in verse 10, then the men were exceedingly afraid. I mean, they knew that there was something up here. They knew this was like, not like any other storm that they'd encountered at this season. They knew that there was something going on that was warranting this storm. They just couldn't figure it out. They cast lots. They decide it's Jonah. They ask what's up with Jonah. Jonah tells him who he is, and he'd already told him previously, you see in verse 10, that he was running from God. And so, <clears throat> excuse me, so they knew this was not, this was not good. All right, so let's do some takeaways. Let's just tear those apart for a minute. Let's do some takeaways. In a moment of crisis, in moments of crisis, it's instinctive to turn to God. 
These sailors immediately turned to God. Their God, I mean, all kinds of gods. Who knows who they were turning to? They told Jonah, wake up and pray to your God. Let's cover all the bases. Maybe we can get this covered. But it's instinctive to pray to God, to turn to God. These are moments of opportunities. The even people that don't believe in God, if they get in a crisis big enough, they will cry out to God. These are moments of opportunities. These are times when God is cracking somebody open enough that he can get in or that we can get in or something. Never miss a moment of opportunity. Never miss a crisis. I know we all run from them, but some of the best opportunities happen in crises. So don't run from crises. Another takeaway. Believers can become so complacent or disobedient that the lost will wind up doing what the believers should. Now, that's a little harder to digest. But think of Jonah. He, was, he should have been praying. He wasn't. The pagans were praying. He should have been, you know, coming clean. He wasn't. You'll find out later that they were more worried about doing harm to an innocent than he was. All of a sudden, the pagans rose to the occasion. Why? Because the believers left the void. Okay, this is going to sound like a soapbox. It's just an illustration. I'm convinced that the reason our schools have to teach sex education is because believers have left a void. We should be filling that void. We're running from that. Top. So, unbelievers jump in and do it. You can probably think of other examples. Yes. Ooh, you used the M word in the Baptist church, the Methodist church, really? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but that's rare, you know. So I'm not saying no churches do it, but I'm just saying that, that when we as believers, when we fail to take care of the poor, then who steps in to take care of the poor? The government has to step in to take care of the poor. I believe this. This is kind of, when I, I wrote this out and read it, and I'm going, eh, but I do believe this. Believers can become so complacent or disobedient that the lost wind up having to do what we should be doing. And so we lose our witness. Not only do we lose our witness, but if anybody can do that, then there's nothing special about it. So I'll get off that soapbox. Here's another. It's easy to say one thing about God and live differently, but we will be found out. Yeah, you just will. It just comes out somehow. It comes through. Uh, we'll just leave that one lay where it's at. Let me give you another takeaway, and then we'll go on. God is completely sovereign over weather, over lots, over ele- every element of creation, over those who know him and those that don't. God is completely sovereign. What difference does that make for you and I? I'm going to wait you out on this one. What difference does that make? Hmm? Then we can trust him. So what difference does that make? We have a choice. A choice to what? To accept him or rejecting. So what difference does that make in our life? 
<laughs> Have I aggravated you enough yet? <laughs> no, this is really important. So if we if God is completely sovereign, then we can take our problems, our our, our trials, our joys, every, we can take everything to Him. What difference does that make? Hmm? Well, in in terms of salvation, but I'm talking in general. What difference does that make? It's a comfort. How often do we worry about things because we act like God is not sovereign? How often do we fret and stew and scramble as if God's up there going, man, I wish I could do something, but my hands are tied. How often do we sweat things where if we really, really believed that God was sovereign and we really trusted that, We'd breathe easier. We'd scramble less. We'd worry less. See what I'm getting at? Jonah could talk about God's sovereignty, God over heaven, over the land, over the sea, but he didn't act like God was sovereign. He ran and he hid and he got mad and, and, and you see all of these things in the book of Jonah. But in the book of Jonah, never once do you see God sweating it. Never once do you see God scrambling. Never once. We could probably lower our blood pressure, reduce some of our medications, Live more easily, have more hope if we truly believed and lived like we believe that God is completely sovereign. Easier said than done? Oh, you betcha. But when everything depends upon me, I have all the stresses, I have all the strains, I have all the worries, I have all the responsibility. But if everything depends upon him, it's his. All right, that's probably enough of that soapbox too. All right, let's go a little bit further. Let's look at another possible journal entry from Jonah. Sorry, but I had to stop and find food and some more wood for the fire. Anyway, getting back to the story, with everything that was happening, I felt he was angry and using the storm to get back at me for not doing what I was told to do. I just felt like it would be better for me and for everyone else if I wasn't here. He goes on to say, So I told him to just throw me overboard. I guess I didn't have the nerve to do it myself. I thought the sailors would jump at the offer, but they tried everything they could do instead of throwing me over. guess they were scared of making him angry, more angry. But eventually there was nothing left to do. We were all scared. Even while they lifted me over the side, they were asking him not to hold this against them. And I expected to hit the water and have the raging waves pull me to the bottom. But by the time I came up for air, the sea was calm. I looked up at the sailors at the rail. And with their mouths open, they started raising their hands to the sky and crying out. And then slowly drifted out of sight. Let's look at the passage. 
Start in verse 11 of chapter 1. Then they said to him, Jonah, what shall we do to you that the sea may be quiet, may quiet down for us? And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. Again, I find it interesting that Jonah wouldn't do it himself. So he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it's because of me this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. Now, that's twice that's been mentioned. If you look down at verse 11, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And then it says it again in verse 13. I've told you this before. When God starts repeating things, it's because it's important. Verse 14. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. In other words, they're saying, okay, we'll throw them over, but don't make us guilty for throwing us over. This is your doing, not ours. Verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. Jonah uses that, the book of Jonah uses that word a lot, hurled. You see it in verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. And you see it again in verse 5, and they hurled the cargo from the ship. You see it in verse 12, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And then you see it in verse 15, so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased its raging, and the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay, we'll stop right there for a minute. Let's take the text apart just a little bit. Uh, The sea grows more and more tempestuous. And and the book of Jonah is painting this picture. It's getting worse and it's getting worse. So Jonah's rebellion is getting worse and worse. He's running and then it gets more deliberate and more deliberate and then he hides and, and then basically he says, this is because of me, but he still doesn't repent and throw at, you know, so he's just getting harder and harder and harder. And so God is turning up the heat more and more and more. So everything's rising to this crescendo. And and this is what's being painted in the book. And Jonah says, pick me up. He couldn't do it himself. Have you noticed how many biblical characters want to die, but they don't want to do it themselves? Can you think of them? Saul? Yeah. Yeah, he wanted his his soldier to, to run him through. Elijah, yeah, Elijah has this big victory on Mount Carmel, and then all of a sudden Queen Jezebel said, you know what, by tomorrow you're going to be as dead as the prophets that you killed. And he freaks and he runs and he's, God, I'm the only one here serving you all by myself, just kill me. And he wants God to do it. Think of another one. Moses. It's one of my favorite passages. The people are grumbling and complaining, and Moses is fed up with them, and Moses said, God, I didn't give birth to these people. If you're going to saddle me with all these people, just kill me now. Ever felt that way about your children? (laughs) This is not what I wanted. It's not what I bargained for. Just kill me. There's a lot of biblical characters that have, have wanted to die, basically. 
but wouldn't pull the trigger. And Jonah is one of those. And so he tells him, hurl me, throw me down. And, uh, and, and, and he's even so bold as to say, I know this is because of me. I know this is because of me. Now, but it wasn't followed by, so I need to repent and change and do what I got. It just, I know this is because of me, so let's just end it. I would rather die than do what I'm told to do. That's rebellion, isn't it? Now, you and I might have not have seen this, but how many times have you had a kid, a child of yours, that you wanted to do something, and they didn't want to do it so badly, they'd rather take the punishment than do it? It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So he says, just hurl me into the sea, because I know this is it. Now, here is the irony. Jonah tells them to hurl him into the sea, and it's the pagans who are trying harder and harder not to do that. Jonah says, ah, throw me over. And it's the pagans who are rowing harder for sure. It's the pagans who are are crying out to God not to make them do this to to someone who might be innocent because they don't know for sure. They are doing this. They're submitting to God's authority, and Jonah's not. See how ironic this is? And, and, and don't let this be wasted on us. Uh, you know, I always get in trouble when I shoot from the hip, and I probably shouldn't do that, but here goes. Uh, isn't it ironic that our government has to do things that we as a church should be doing? I'm not trying to get political here. It's just an example that popped into my head. Isn't it ironic that people that don't know God sometimes show more compassion than people who do? Isn't it ironic that those of us who know, should know to do better don't, and those who don't know to do better do? And this is the story of Jonah. Now, it, it, it does paint a, a story of the nation of Israel. You know, I don't want to completely lose that. God is teaching his own people about how they are through Jonah. But it's just very ironic. I mean, God calls Abraham and tells the children, he he says, I'm going to create a nation out of you, and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. But as time goes on, the nation of Israel huddles up and keeps to themselves more than blessing all the nations. You know, and it's really easy for you and I to huddle up in here amongst ourselves rather than blessing the community. And, and this is the irony you see in the book of Jonah. An, another piece of irony we'll look at here in just a minute. But they throw Jonah over and everything ceases. And that word cease means to stand perfectly still, to be motionless. I mean, the sea didn't just calm down a little. It just went pff, mirror finish. Which, again caught the attention of the soldiers right away. And so here's the irony. As the ship goes off, the soldiers are praising God and offering sacrifices, and Jonah is doing the bobber thing in the water. That's irony for you, isn't it? The prophet of God is bouncing up and down in the water trying to keep his head above water while the pagans are worshiping and sacrificing to this God. Jonah's God. Very ironic. All right. 
So let's do some takeaways from that. At times, it seems easier to settle for less than to repent and obey. But it's not easier. It just isn't. Sometimes to do what we need to do just seems so hard that we're willing to settle for less. But it's not better. Another takeaway. If we refuse to worship God and give him praise and honor, he will raise up others to do so. You see the reference? Guess guess what the reference is about. Jesus said it. That's right. On the road into Jerusalem, they're praising him, crying out Hosanna, and people are telling him to stop. And Jesus said, you know what? You can shut them up, and if you do, even the rocks will cry out. So somebody's going to do this. It should be us. Another takeaway. The more you rebel against God, the further down you go. And the further down you go, the more God turns up the heat. Now, that doesn't mean that every time you're in a tough spot and things are really hard, God's turning up the heat on you about something. Could be. Sometimes just following God's will is really hard and it feels like he's turned up the heat on you. I mean, Jonah struggled and suffered because he was running from God. Other people run straight into exactly what God wants him to do, and they struggle and suffer. Remember Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews, go to Hebrews 11 for a minute. Hadn't planned to go there, but this, we need to say this. Hebrews chapter 11. It's the big chapter about faith and faithful people, the, the, the hall of faith, if you will. As soon as I can get the pages of my Bible apart. There we go. All right, so so there's Hall of Faith, and it talks about, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice, verse 4. Then it talks about Abraham, verse 8, by faith, Abraham obeyed when when he was called to go out to a place that he would receive as an inheritance, and and, and then it talks about, by faith, verse 11, Sarah herself received power to conceive. By faith, verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom he has said, through Isaac shall the offspring be named. And it talks about God giving Isaac back. 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months. So you you get all these people where they lived by faith and it worked out wonderfully well for them. But that changes at about verse 36. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. And they were stoned, and they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword, and they went about in sheep's, uh, skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Now listen to this. Of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and in caves. All these, though condemned through their faith, did not receive what was promised. All of those were faithful people. And for some, things turned out like roses. And for others, it turned out like nightmare. 
But it was not because one was faithful and one wasn't. So when it feels like the heat's getting turned up on you, it can either be because you're running or you're right where you need to be. Makes it a little difficult, doesn't it? So you have to pursue, God, where am I? You know, every time I've been in a place that, that I, it was hard, but I knew it wasn't punishment or, or discipline, it's because I knew ahead of time I was where I was supposed to be. You figure that stuff out beforehand. Jonah knew that the storm was discipline because he knew ahead of time what he was doing. So, so the time to figure this out is not in the middle of the difficult time. It's before there. Does that make sense? Oh, I feel like I'm rambling. I feel like I'm not nailing that one down. All right, any, any questions, any thoughts on this? I'm trying to decide. I don't know if we'll go into another one or not. Let's look and see. See if we can do one quickly. Nah, I think this one may take too long. We may need to stop there this evening. Yeah, I think we're going to stop there this evening. So give me your thoughts. Give me your reflections. I'm going to let you out early. A little early. Yes? Uh, I think we don't realize exactly what we're really reading in here to begin with. But if you keep reading and reading and meditating on that, uh, on that scripture and that word, God is going to show us because we have the Holy Spirit in us mm -hmm. when we're saved and baptized because the baptism is the Holy Spirit that comes to you and when it comes it, he says in his word that the Holy Spirit will give you words to speak so a lot of times we don't understand exactly what that is because we're not meditating on it Okay, so you're saying that sometimes that you read the Word and, you, and, and we're not getting anything out of it because we're not spending time with it. We're not meditating on it. And, and I believe that to be true. I believe that a lot of times the more you just sit with a passage and the more you read it and the more you ask questions and the more you pray over it, the, the more that happens. Well, I'm not sure about that because... Jonah fell down not because he couldn't understand what God wanted. It was really plain. It was really clear. Go to Nineveh, say this. All right? So that was, he fell down because he said, I don't want to do that. And so that he fell down. I, I, I don't think God holds us accountable for, for what we're not understanding yet. What, who was it? Maybe it was Mark Twain. Somebody said, it's not the things in the Scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the things that I do, you know? So I already know enough about what's in here to, to do what I need to do, be held accountable for what I need to do. The question is, too often, I'm like Jonah. I do know what I'm supposed to do, and I just don't want to do that. I'd rather find a way around it. Uh, do you feel like you, uh, when you don't want to do it, do you feel like 
Sometimes I don't want to do it because I think it's going to be too hard. Sometimes I don't want to do it because I don't know what the outcome will be. Uh, I mean, there can be all kinds of reasons, but it, they're not good enough. The, the, you know, they just aren't. You know, how many times have you, again, ask your children, I need you to do this, and they give you a lot of reasons why they can't. Did it really make any difference to you? When they said, you know, I'm busy watching this show. My friends are coming over. You know, I got, it doesn't make any difference. And, and so, Jonah is all about how will you respond to God when he's clear? How will you respond to God? And I don't know, I may be the only one that's a little pagan-like in here, but I find myself in Jonah's seat a lot. Uh, someone else? What's Jonah say to you thus far? Because I always tell you, you know, if all we do is come in and study Scripture and figure out what stuff means and why they said this, and, and, and we kind of fill our heads with knowledge, but, but it, it never gets personal, and we never carry it out, and we never figure out what it means for us and how our life should be different because of what, then we've really wasted our time. I could be reading you Dick and Jane books up here. So what's it saying to you so far? <laughs> yes. Something on the other side of me saying, well, that's not true. Uh, don't do that. You know, the enemy, yeah. it, I've been dealing with the enemy for a long time. Yeah, but I don't think this is the way it is for Jonah. I mean, Jonah doesn't, Jonah doesn't talk about this struggle between what should I do and what should I not do. Matter of fact, that's the problem with Jonah. There's no struggle. He doesn't struggle with it. I mean, he doesn't sit long enough to struggle with it. He just says, I'm out of here. You know, and, and Jonah's story is just one of rebellion, anger, frustration. He feels like God's not being fair. He feels like God is, is going to let these very ruthless enemies who were, who were just torturous enemies who had done so much injustice to Jonah's people. Jonah's afraid he's going to let God's going to let him off the hook. And that just doesn't seem right to him. And, and so he kind of wells up and says, not going to do it. It's not right. They should pay. Now, we don't say those things out loud, but there are people in our lives that we feel things like that about. Yes?
Yes. Yes, because that Yahweh was the only God who seemed to have any control in the situation. Yes. You know? So here you have a pagan who, because of the disobedience of the man of God, is now praising the God of the man who disobeyed. Yes. Yes, it's kind of a backdoor approach to evangelism, isn't it? You know? Uh, yes. Yes, and so here's the irony. Jonah is supposed to be the one telling people about God, and so even when Jonah refuses to do that, he still does it. You know, that's what I was telling you earlier. God is that sovereign. I love this story. It steps on my toes a lot, though. It steps on... <laughs> against his will, but yes, yeah, yeah, which, which is interesting too. Jonah is saying something about God, even when he's not saying something about God. And the mariners had already reached the point where they feared God and didn't want to throw him overboard. Yeah. So they were coming a little closer. <laughs> I wonder what my life says about God when I'm not saying anything about God. It's a little spooky. Yeah, yeah, it, it tends to happen that way. Yeah. You get ourselves in more danger. So this is a good book. I, I, I love this book, and we're what? Only two chapters in, right? Uh, so we're going to leave Jonah treading water for a week, and uh, then we're going to come back and pick it up then. I encourage you to read this book. It's a really short book. You can read it through really easy. Read it repetitively. Let some stuff sink in. Ask questions. You know, write questions down. And uh, we'll see what comes up next week when we go through this. Yes? Yes. Then he saw the, on the road to Emmaus, he saw a vision of Jesus. He says, Jesus said, why do you persecute me? I mean, he became blind. Yes. Well, not enough people in this world, I don't think, have that opportunity or will have that opportunity to see Jesus and listen to the words of Jesus. So we've got to live by faith. Absolutely. Scripture says something along the lines of, blessed are you, know, blessed are you because you see and believe. Blessed are those who... Don't see and still believe. Yes. yes. There's a lot in this book for us. So, uh, and why won't he let us hear from heaven? The ones that have gone before us, nobody knows <laughs> anything from heaven. Because I'll tell you, uh, if, if somebody from heaven dropped right down here on these steps, then that doesn't take faith. That just takes common sense. All right? This, you got to trust him takes faith. All right, let's pray together. I'll get you out of here. Father, I'm grateful for this story, and, uh, and I'm grateful for the truths that you teach us, and there's so many in there if we'll just dig them out. Uh, Father, sometimes your word just slaps us upside the head with what you want us to see, and sometimes it's kind of like it was when I was a boy back home and hunting mushrooms in the spring. You have to turn over leaves and turn over logs and to find the good stuff. 
And there's a lot of stuff in here for us to find. So I ask that you'd help us to find it for us personally, what, what it means for us personally, what it means for us as a group of believers, and uh, how it should change our lives. There's too many of us, Father, living like Jonah. We dress up better than Jonah. We're not quite as loud and boisterous as Jonah. We're not as obvious as Jonah, but we're Jonas. And, uh, and a lot of us struggle way more than we should have to because of a lack of faith and a lack of obedience and, and just being a Jonah. So I pray that you would show us how to be less like Jonah so that the world can see, so that we can be the ones telling and showing and worshiping and, and proving and uh, work in us the way you need to this week to, to bring us a step closer to that. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.